You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And for this episode, we have the great pleasure of talking to Mackenzie Rogers. Um, and Mackenzie is a, a, a very talented uh, artist, uh, opera singer. So we're going to have the opportunity to talk about um, uh, singing and the art of singing and uh, about opera. We're also going to have the chance to chat with her about being uh, a subject and being an art model um, uh, in paintings and, uh, Mackenzie, uh, I wanted to thank you so much for joining the program and wanted to welcome you to something rather than nothing. Thanks for having me, Ken. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, Mackenzie, I, I, I start off, uh, on most of the interviews, uh, with the beginning. What were you like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From the beginning, what were you like as a young child? Did you have an artistic bent? I did. Oh, what was I like as a young child? I was very energetic. Um, I was very sensitive. I was loud. I was talkative. Gosh, I was always making noise. And I was always a pretty voracious, creative mind. Um, I loved to read and I loved to put on little shows for my family, which they were um, kind enough to employ. And my mother put us in piano lessons. And so I was always working on music on the piano. Um, but if my memory serves me, my biggest reprimand in school was always engaging other children, talking too much, and reading under my desk during lessons. Oh, God um, forbid. God forbid. <laughs> well, you know, now um, it's funny how those kinds of things stick with you through your childhood, because sometimes I feel like if I'm reading when I should be doing other things, like practicing opera, practicing musical theater, practicing piano, I still have that tiny thread of guilt that I'm wasting my time reading when I could be doing other things that will never stop me I love reading um and right now I'm reading three books I'm reading Shantaram um, by Gregory David Roberts um which is a lovely book I'm reading White Fragility which is um of course self-work of the times and I just got The Artist's Way which is about exploring creativity um with daily and weekly tasks yeah, I always I'm always uh, fascinated by um, what folks are reading. Um, mm -hmm. I study literature a lot, and it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's almost like the equivalent to me of like, what do you do for work, or is like, what <laughs> what what do you, what are you reading, right? So yeah, um, it tells you a lot about the way someone thinks and what they're working on, what they're interested in. Now, I believe on the reading component, we might have a connection that I am now reading Black Elk Speaks, which was based in mm. Oklahoma. I believe you're from. Are you from Oklahoma? I am from Oklahoma. Yeah, born and raised. Um, I lived in a suburb of Oklahoma City, and um, my family's been there for a long time. Um, my ancestors were Chickasaw, and um, of course, they were moved there on the Trail of Tears under the tenure of Andrew Jackson, and we stayed there ever since. And so, um, but yeah, born and raised Oklahoma. I have a lot of love for Oklahoma, um, despite that I was always a little bit of a black sheep there. The, uh, the, um, I known folks from, from Oklahoma and one of the folks I've known, um, she would make Texas caviar, which was one of the best side dishes <laughs> I had ever, I'd ever had. And, uh, 
Um, so before getting into the type of art, um, you know, that you perform and you're directly involved with, uh, what, what types of art do you like to be around, consume, look at, mm. et cetera? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I made a new year's resolution. I'm kind of old fashioned. I like new year's resolutions. I know they're not a la mode at the moment, but, um, my new year's resolution a couple of years ago was to spend more money on live theater. And so I love plays. I love operas. Obviously I love musical theater. Um, any live performance or in-person performance going to art museums, um, any interactive, kind of opportunity is something that I, I really, really enjoy. And I think you get a lot out of it. Um, I think a lot of times in a world full of screens that we forget how to interact with physical things around us. Um, and that's not to say that technology has not been a wonderful um, influence on the future. It has its downsides, of course, but it also has incredible leaps forward. But I really like to see and hear and taste and smell and touch things to the best of my ability and the energy, especially from a live performance, you can't get anything like that. It's magic. And that's why, while it's very noble to watch, um, filmed versions of live performances, you have to be there. You have to be in the seat. You have to feel your blood rush. You have to feel the temperature of the theater and hear the timbre of the voices. Um, that's a big part of the experience for me. And so I love live performances and I love seeing the textures of paintings if you go to the Met one of my favorite painters is Van Gogh I got that from my mother love Van Gogh Gogh. oh yeah what I mean what a mind and if you see you know you see these printings of his paintings irises the pink roses the cypress trees um, and they're all wonderful and beautiful but when you see them in person they have so much movement. They have so much life, the textures of the trees and the way the air moves. I mean, it's an an entirely different experience to be six inches from it or however far they'll let you be when you're in a museum. Um, And so, yeah, I really like to experience things firsthand. I I love that on uh, Van Gogh. I'm reminded as a quick aside of the beautiful movie, Loving Vincent. And if is that the uh, one with uh, Willem Dafoe? No, this oh. is a movie which is mind blowing. It is. I might Ooh. have this number wrong, but it is, I believe, one hundred thousand paintings placed in sequence to create a film. So that oh, yeah. yes, the scenes of Van Gogh, the the scenes that he paints, you move within them and the style of the entire film. It's the first time a film was comprised of uh paintings as the the whole it's a stream of paintings for an hour and twenty wow. minutes that tell the story. Mm. And um, such a distinctive style. You know, you can always recognize Van Gogh. He's such a unique voice in the sea of painters. Okay, we could geek out on Van Gogh for a while, but um, <laughs> so so let's let's um, let me let me jump ahead on a question a little bit a little bit more mm-hmm. difficult. I mean, you were talking about live performances, and I really liked how you're covering some of the feel of the aesthetics that's around you, things like that. Uh, in a time of pandemic, what 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 has it been uh, like? Um, what's it been like for you as a live performer? Are you being sensitive to those components of the live um, performance? What, what, what has it been like to 
navigate the past couple months with an absence of that? Well, this is where the um, the dedication and the it's where you really have to trust the work. It's uh, especially because we don't know when we're going to be able to be back on stage. Um, there, of course, hopeful ideas about it. There are dates that people are presenting. And I, <laughs> well, I appreciate those. I often think that they're a little optimistic, but I do understand that. Um, we don't want to feel like we don't know when our life is going to resume. Um, and so as a stage performer, the stage the audience is as much a character as you are. You get energy from them and they get energy from you. And there are times you go on and you're exhausted and the audience is revved up and that you feed off that. And there are times you go out with your heart in your hands and they're just not that interested. Um, so it's very much a live creature. Um, and so to be confined to your home, to be confined to technology, to be confined to um, having to work off recordings, it is, uh, it's a little disheartening, but it is just as important because at the end of this, we will be back on stage at some point and you have to continue to grow and progress. And so really what this has allowed me at least is this uninterrupted time, this precious resource and currency of having hours at my uh, expenditure that I didn't normally have. You know, normally you'd be commuting or going to the gym or socializing or working or all these things that get in the way of just consistent, um, straightforward work on your art. And all of a sudden you have that at your fingertips. Um, and it also changes how you approach your art. Um, now these days I have to do Zoom voice lessons, Zoom opera coachings, and that is a very different animal. And I really think the biggest part of this that I'm taking out is persistence and really trusting the work and um, using it as catharsis. You know, singing is what I love. Making music is what I love. And it is what I sink into when I can't sink any further into myself, when I'm feeling uh, lonely or pessimistic because there's a pandemic and there's also great unrest out there. Um, it is uh, a release and it is a distraction, but it is also a a way to make your voice heard and to um, just create, create, create. Yeah, I want to. I want to. Uh, and with with your background and the things that you do, I want to kind of take advantage of some of your thoughts and and insights to. Um, uh, pieces of art that the podcast hasn't got into before, um, mm -hmm. and, and to kind of get into what you do. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of background in opera. I've, I've seen opera. I appreciate <laughs> it. I love the voice. I, I think it's such an incredible thing to see. Mm -hmm. I move to kind of understand like the historical relevance and have it explained to me. Some art is uh, uh, there's enough to it where it kind of has to be explained to you, like what's going on. You're an opera singer. Tell, mm -hmm. give what, what's what's that like? What what is it like to to create art with your voice to be involved in a production like that? Ooh, um, <laughs> well, that's a good question. In making out with your voice you'll never be able to hear your voice the way anyone else can. Um, you know, even when you listen to a recording of 
a guitar or a saxophone or a piano. It is a separate entity. It can be removed. And if you are given a different piano and a different saxophone and a different guitar, you will produce a different sound. Your voice is your voice. It stays in your body. And therefore, it's very, very personal. Um, it's really easy to take technical issues as a as personal blows. Um, and they're not necessarily. They just require work. And of course, your body changes and your body's health is your instrument's health. And so um, that is something that, especially for me, um, getting more and more serious about singing as I got older, um, it took me a while to realize how much I had to take care of myself, how disciplined my discipline really had to be. Um, and I'm, I mean, I still work on that every day, but it's, it's so much part of who you are that you have to take care of it uh, almost to an overwhelming degree if you want to get the most out of it. But the benefit of that is that the reward you reap is incredible. The, the idea of what you can do versus what you do do, what you think you can produce, what sounds you can make, what emotions versus what actually comes out of your body and this wonderful scientific aspect of making music. Of course, you really have to be a musician um, but there's this wonderful scientific aspect of performance and sound waves and things that they didn't necessarily understand when opera was first formed and as it has grown throughout the centuries. But now we understand in the 21st century and what a miracle it is that we were able to figure out so much about creating art with our voices without knowing that. Um, and so uh, being an opera singer is a lot of work, but it is worth every drop of frustration, every drop of discipline, everything about it that can often maybe put young singers off or put young artists off of something. It's just the work, the work, the work. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah, I can really connect into to your, you know, um, the the intensity of what you're putting into it, um, uh, you know, to create what you do. Um, it, it seems to be the type of art form that that demands a lot. And um, and it was really helpful to hear you describe as far as your connection to it and, you know, the science and the art of it. Right. You mentioned that. Piece, right. Like, I think <laughs> mm -hmm. everybody's already known that this is like an artistic performance, but also some of the factors that go in there about the performance that are. I don't know, subject to many other contingencies, right? Like you said, temperature, sound, acoustics, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, uh, I know you love uh, painting. And of course, we, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking a bit about Van Gogh. Um, I uh, love painting um, and, and paint, you know, uh, do painting uh, myself. I am a painter. Um, yes, I saw one of your beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, for you, um, you got to I want to explore like a little bit of a different entry. You work as in uh, the, have done some work as an art model. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are probably curious about what it's like on on that other side. Right. We see the finished product of a painting and and, and what what's what's that experience like to participate in art in that way as an art model? It's a very different perspective. And, you know, <laughs> um, I had always, of course, you see these faces in these paintings, you see bodies, you see, um, they call it drapery, the 
the cloth moving across a human form. But you never necessarily associate a person with it unless they have an identity, Um, like the very famous portrait um, that Sargent did um, of portrait of Madame X, which, of course, had a, a huge uproar when it came out because she had one of her her um, dress straps had slipped off her shoulder and that was so scandalous in Paris 150 years ago um, and just that idea of a flesh and blood human being being the inspiration for a painting and you can really see how a different model brings out different results from the painter and one of the things that I really like about the wonderful artists that I work with is that we feed off each other's energy you know um the poses that I choose or that they choose for me um are very directly related to my personality and even um experiences you know I'm I have been a model for a big project. It's a sculpture project that is going to take multiple years and multiple months, and it's 40 hours a week. And so all of a sudden it becomes very much a working environment um, as opposed to maybe the two or three hour sessions that you get a lot of time, sometimes eight. But all of a sudden 40 hours a week is a very different beast, and you really have to, like any working environment, you have to gel with your coworkers. You have to have mutual respect. You have to be able to handle conflict well. Um, and something that I really like about art model is that it changes my perspective on my art. You know, these wonderful visual artists will say something and then I will take it home. Um, something that was said to me by um, the sculptor that I work with, Sabin Howard, is he said, I'm making this sculpture the way human beings see sculptures um, or see um, objects, how they see the world. A lot mm-hmm. of times we think of things as being in order to be good they have to be photographic or they have to be perfect um when in fact uh anthony roth costanza who is a counter tenor that i love and adore who was uh, um the lead in Akhenaten at the met this last year he said perfection is deeply boring and he's absolutely correct because it's also not the way we hear things even in language a lot of times and opera of course does afford you the chance to study multiple languages western opera focuses on german english italian french um the slavic languages are moving in there um, as well russian czech um but this idea that you don't necessarily hear music as being perfect moment by moment and that's so uninteresting there's no emotion created that way if i'm singing and my heart is breaking if my voice is shaking that might not be considered perfect but it's real it's human um and so this idea that you see art and you take in art the way human beings are meant to perceive the world um in sculpture as i understand it it's following a line following the turn and curve of the body in music it's following the line and following the curve of the music you know and you don't necessarily hear all of the not filler moments but the smaller moments the articles the connecting words um that you would in a language you don't necessarily hear those you hear the moments of climax you hear the moments of piano you hear the moments of forte you hear um this really moving texture that does not necessarily have to be perfect at any second and that's something that i really appreciate about uh, art modeling is that it gives me, I don't know if I would have ever thought of it that way beforehand, or this idea of closing the form where you take something and you outline it 
to a certain degree and that um, colors how it is perceived. So if I take that concept back to music, um, I close these phrases, maybe it's four bars, maybe it's eight, but I take them and I bounce them each to the next. How does each phrase bounce to the next and how do I work within that? What notes are the most important? What notes can I save my voice a little bit? What notes do I really have to not care about technique and not care about perfection and just let my human voice and my human experience shine through? So I have a lot of love for art modeling. I do do it professionally, but I would I would do it for free. <laughs> I, I I I I mean I, I a lot of what you had to say there um, was was is 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 deeply interesting in the sense of you know part of the inquiry on the podcast that I do you know is is, is of course about art and opinions of art and I think a lot of times we think of art as kind of like there's even theories of it. It's like kind of like this perfect, um, you know, that we've strived towards perfection. So let me give you a, like an example, right? There are art critics out there that would say that the compos composition of a, of a musical piece on the paper itself can achieve perfection. And when you move it into the world and singing, that's where the mistakes happen, right? Or that's mm. where the, that's where the, the, the grit is, right? So it's like one way of looking at like, what is the, kind of perfect art object. And I think uh, by your discussion in, in bringing about some of the, 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 you know, the, the edges of it or the things that don't work as far as the performance is just a little bit more honest and closer to um, the pieces that work and don't work when things sound mm -hmm. too neat, too perfect, mm -hmm. too clean, mm -hmm. it might not be the best, uh, the best thing. And um and it, it sounds like you have to, as a performer, kind of interact with that, uh, figuring <laughs> you do, that you have out. To pick your battles. And also, you know, like you're a human being creating art for human beings. Like you, it has to be relatable. If I was a robot, uh, I could make something perfect if other robots were going to make it. But that's how could that be a world worth living in? Um, and I do understand what you mean that sometimes something on paper looks better than its ultimate final form. I find a lot of times uh, my husband and I are big film film fans. We love movies um, and we watch a lot of them. And uh, something that sometimes I'll notice is I'm like, this was a better script than it is a movie. This was a better concept than it was um, a finished product or a better short story than it was a visual version of the story. And so um, I, I think you find that a lot of times when books are made into movies or books made into operas or any kind of musical is the medium is, is just as important. And there's something to be said about something being written for the way it's performed, you know, an opera that is written to be an opera, a book that is written to be a book, you know, not something that's going to be translated into something else later. Well, let, 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 let's jump into that bit, because the other piece I wanted to talk to you is about, you know, kind of like the performative aspects and, you know, about about acting and, and acting in a role. So, again, what part of the inquiry in the podcast is I have some guests upcoming, um, Nicole Murray and Paige uh, Henderson, who do um, Dead Friends, which is a, a show mm -hmm. on YouTube. And I've become interested in trying to get actors and actresses to kind of talk about, you know, the art of that uh, type of performance. Um, what has been your experience as far as 
and, and I know this is probably a little bit unfair how abstract it is, but like about <laughs> about <laughs> about the art of acting in, in, in what you do. Mm. What, what, what's been your experience with that? Because you've done it. You're also, you know, training within it and developing those skills. What's that component of the performance like for you? Well, it's funny you should ask that because opera singers are, no, are notoriously not the best actors of the stage industry. And we know that. And part of the reason is... Are you um, starting a scandal in the community by that statement? I know. They know. <laughs> <laughs> they know. And, you know, I also, I, I'm a musical theater performer as well. And so I've had to... I never took acting lessons until I got into the musical theater world and it was really eye-opening. Um, but the big thing with opera singers is that you have to focus so much on this aspect of, of performing, which is the voice, the technical aspects, the musicianship aspects, um, the orchestra and your costumes, because it's a very grand art form. Um, and so sometimes it, acting falls by the wayside. I wish it didn't. Um, and that is getting better, especially as in the opera world, the um, live broadcasts have become very popular or these high definition filmings where you really get up close and personal. Um, and so you really have to see those emotions a little bit more. Whereas before, you know, you're acting for the person in the very back row of the house. And so it's larger than life. It's it's larger than a normal person would act as it should be. You know, we a lot of times see acting on this very small scale in movies and television where the camera is just as close to the actor as it could be. And you can catch all those tiny emotions that just don't translate in the theater. And so especially with a voice, the composer has outlined some of the emotional peaks and valleys for you. But it is your um, responsibility to make choices about the emotions you feel. And that is really where acting comes the most into play, because you have to have an opinion about everything, just like any human being would have an opinion about everything. Um, any conversation you have, you know, you are expressing your thoughts, which inherently have opinions. And it's no different when you're singing. And the really excellent singers, you can see that marriage. You can see them expressing their emotions authentically and also coming forward with the music so that they work and dovetail off each other into creating a um, a relatable experience for the audience. Yeah, um, there's a lot of components about the performance that uh, is really making with your comments make me think a lot about, you know, how that works. I, I was interesting just um, about opera itself. I've actually never seen a live opera in performance. And but I did take advantage recently when I felt I had this like large gap in my understanding and learning um, of one of those, you know, it's at the movie theater, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the mic'd up and it was great for me. I mean, the, the, the sound is, I knew it was a different experience, but it was a great way um, for me to expose myself um, uh, to it. So I'm in, in the process of learning. I really appreciate um, uh, your comments, uh, uh, you know, on opera and about um, uh, acting. Um, uh, Mackenzie, I want to play uh, for the listeners. Actually, I'm playing it for myself and everybody else can enjoy it, too. <laughs> um, your uh, rendition of uh, Maybe This Time, which was, I believe it was an original from uh, from the musical uh, in the movie, A Cabaret. Yeah, if 
Cabarets Candor and Ebb, which were a uh, powerhouse team of musical theater writers in um, what a lot of people consider the golden age of musical theater or immediately afterwards. And they wrote, I mean, hit after hit. They wrote Chicago. They wrote Cabaret. Um, they are just a household name for the musical theater community in a lot of ways. And they had this really sexy gritty sound and it required a lot of um just emotional prowess from their performers um and of course the most famous version of that is liza minnelli and she inspired me for this so this piece there's a story behind this piece this was the piece that got me into musical theater because i hadn't i had been in a swing dance musical but as a dancer i sang a little bit and i had done West Side Story in high school as a dancer. You know, I wasn't really a singer and I didn't really get into singing until college was when I started taking voice lessons for the first time. And so after my grad work, I was horribly burnt out on singing, just, um, you know, as you are when you're oversaturated, even if you love it, you just get exhausted and you lose the joy a lot of times. So after grad school, I started working with a wonderful, wonderful woman named Hannah Penn, who was my mentor and friend, still is. Um, and I brought this piece into her, maybe this time, in the original high key. Liza Minnelli sings at a fourth lower, and I don't blame her because it is a high belt. Um, but so I brought in this piece and I said, hey, I have this. Can you just tell me if it's worth anything? And so I sang this for her and she goes, well, I think it's great. I don't necessarily think I can help you with it because it's not my forte, but I think it's worth pursuing. And so she really gave me the the green light to start putting myself out there for musical theater. And that was in 2016. And so I have so much love for this piece and it was I didn't necessarily know what I was doing and I'm still learning, um, but I had a lot of emotion behind it, which is really what you need. And I, of course, had lots of vocal training. I didn't come into it cold like I had been studying singing for multiple years and trying to work healthily. Um, and it just this was my first time applying my voice really in this way. And it has been such a wonderful experience. I love this piece. Yeah, Maybe well, let's. Fun. Absolutely. And let's let's play. I want to chat about it afterwards because I want to chat mm-hmm. about the 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 song, the, the song itself and the uh, mm-hmm. background with Cabaret. So um, let's play it. This is maybe this time uh, with uh, Mackenzie Rogers uh, singing uh, this song. Love would hurry away 
sorry, I'm faced with not knowing what to say after hearing that. I was going to say, you know, holy shit or wow. Um, uh, absolutely beautiful. Love, you. love that one. Um, and I, I saw, you know, I saw you had posted something. It was from a while back and I heard that. I'm like, mm. oh my God, that song. And um, so it's, it's, geez, it's a haunting song. It's a haunting, it haunting song. It's haunted me ever since the first time I, I, I heard it uh, in, in Cabaret, Liza Minnelli, gorgeous performance ridiculously mm-hmm. high level performance in 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 cabaret and of course that that damn film right rise of fascism mm-hmm. rise of fascism mm-hmm. there's the another there's there's a lot of haunting stuff in there but the uh um tomorrow belongs to me version mm-hmm. of the the you know the blonde haired german you know, early Nazi singers mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the uh, intermission where it's a picnic and you're looking around, you're like, holy crap, the Nazis mm-hmm. are rising. Fascism is increasing. The military is wrong. All right. So, um, uh, you know, for for our times, super haunting politically. Um, so uh, about about the text itself, let's talk about the text itself with 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 you know, cabaret in, in, in these times. Um, what, what, how does, how does what, what you see in that, in, in that particular musical and the rise of kind of like intolerance in, 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 in kind of suffering, um, it has just this deep resonance for me at this moment. What's, what's it like? What's that text like for you? What's, what do those songs do for you? Well, uh, you know, this is undeniably a love song, but it can really relate to so many um, human experiences. Maybe this time the change will happen. Maybe this time we will do the right thing. And uh, I wholeheartedly believe that's what Candor and Ed wrote. Um, that's what they meant when they wrote this piece. And of course, against the backdrop of fascism, of course, this is a very tragic beautiful musical um and they did not shirk away from um from making their point clear which is to watch fascism rise and it always kind of starts as a dirty secret you know maybe everybody knows it but they don't quite have enough evidence or if they do have enough evidence they're not looking at it closely enough to really realize how strong of a foothold it is taking in everyday society and um it starts to kind of rear its ugly head and then you think, no, it couldn't happen here, which has got to be the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We always think that we are too far forward. We are too progressive. We are um, too smart, too educated, too integrated, too diverse to fall into that trap. And I think we have seen throughout history that that is not the case. Um, And it's not the case now. I mean, fascism is alive in multiple ways it is not always men with identical haircuts and bands on their arms marching into your city it is systemic it is taught um it is ignored it is dismissed it is apologized for um and i i really think that's one of the things that they wanted to show with this musical is that um you have to say maybe this time until it happens but you can't stop you keep having to push forward and um, 
also really unite. You can't beat fascism alone. And there will always be instances of people trying to change the way other people behave or act or think or present themselves or exist in the world. And it is the right of every human being to not have to experience that, to be able to be their truest, most authentic selves and to not have their history drowned out in favor of someone else's. Well, in 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 that that film for me, I mean, there's I, art you connect with art, and it's, it has this deeper meaning sometimes with the connections. But I was born in 1972. That film mm. came out in 1972, you know, and it won best, you know, best actress Liza Minnelli, best director Joel Gray, as far as best actor, um, in you know a supporting role, and it was very, mm. very uh, advanced. I mean, because there was a lot of um, uh, uh, sexual dynamics, bisexuality, mm-hmm. um, and it was also tied to like for me, I love the 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 period in 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 Germany in the in the 30s and German expressionism and the Bruck and these oh, yeah. movements that right before that. And I think for art, for me, I've always placed that front and center. You have this this my favorite art movement at that time, and then you have the rise of fascism. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and how those things are, are, are interrelating. But so that's, you know, that, that, that's cabaret, but what, in general, what role do you see are, you know, in this time, uh, right now, uh, we're recording, uh, George Floyd was murdered by police, mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in daylight, uh, over minutes in an, a horrific uh, you know, just another iteration of the horrific effects of, of racism. What is what is art's role? What's what's art's role in 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 getting at that or trying to dismantle that or uh, upset that? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, you know, it's funny about the not funny, of course, not funny. But what's interesting about the recording of George Floyd's death is that people will believe video recordings until it's something they don't want to see. And just even the fact that that is contested by people is, is heartbreaking. Um, but I do think it's it is the symptom of a deep, um, nefarious underlying issue, which is white supremacy, this idea, this false notion that somehow the pigmentation in your skin separates you from every other human being. Um, And unfortunately, it's a big part of the American history, and it has caused unthinkable horrors and irreparable damage. And I think... I think what art's role in it is we have to do our intrinsic work, of course, um, and we have to actively change our brain's shape, but mainly representation. We have to see people of color. And of course, I say people of color, meaning anyone who is not, quote unquote, white. Um, And of course, at the forefront of that conversation right now is the African-American community. Um, But we have to see people of different skin colors, of different cultural backgrounds that speak differently, that think differently, that dance differently. We have to see them at the forefront. We have this kind of, I feel like, we have this kind of strange notion in the United States that the white experience is the baseline, which itself is privileged and and false. It's a false narrative. Um, It's just one that has been shown the most often consistently through history, through our art, through movies, through music. Um, through stage performing, through paintings. I mean, gosh, I can't think of an opera that I know of that was written by a black composer, you know, and that breaks my heart. Um, And I also think that we have to 
pay for it. We have to put our money where our, our mouth is, um, paying our artists of, um, of different communities besides white, representing their works, not separating their music or fashion or body types or athleticism or writings or abilities from the experience of the people that belong to that group. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that because that is pretty common for the white community to have looted other communities. And of course, right now what we're focusing on in the world as rightfully so is the African-American community. And with the murder of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, you really see how big that divide is. And art is reflective of the times. You know, you can really see what's going on in the world in art. And it is a magnifying glass into the experience of different cultures, different communities. Um, And, in this history of looting, and I do use that word purposefully, um, there's also a lot of credit taking. You know, we separate the work and the entertainment, quote unquote, from the people that create it. Um, and that has to, that is one of the big things, I think, one of the big pillars that has to be pulled down. Um, and we can't dilute it, and we have to zoom out and see the systemic issues on hand that are financial and economic physical, sociological, and um, really taking into mind, art has always been a bridge, I think, um, into different cultures and to bringing different cultures to the forefront. And we have to work now to make sure that as that's happening, it is uncensored, it is unapologetic, it is true, it is amplified. And back in the day, there were legal ramifications for those um bridges but now it's social and uh, i think it's really art's responsibility we as artists to make sure that um all voices reach the same level and so that no one voice of any particular group is louder than any of the others in times of peace you know and of course if something happens and a group needs to come to the forefront that is absolutely necessary but we don't even have that as a baseline yet and so we need to amplify people of color different communities, the trans community, the queer community, all these wonderful artists that have somehow been shunted away and shunned away into being not recognizable unless it was filtered down into something that matched the palette that was already created in the world by hundreds of years of racism, slavery, um, legal uh, blockades, um, all these things that have held people back for so long. And it's just, it's time for we as artists and the art community to step up. Yeah. I, and I, I appreciate your comments. And I think, you know, there's, there's, you know, um, you know, in, in, in trying to do the podcast and talking about philosophy and, and, and art, there's a, an overt recognition I would have to say as like in, 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 if, if you take if you take philosophy as a discipline, right, um, uh, like even worse than other components of society, very white centric, uh, mm-hmm. very and, mm-hmm. and, and very male centric, which has had an impact on the development of the discipline. For me, I spent uh, years studying and I spent eight years studying philosophy. So I'm obviously oh, connected wow. to the questions that exist. But I also recognize that history, and I think art is is kind of 
you know, in that same realm. Not that there aren't artists of every type of, of, of background, but mm-hmm. the dominant thought when we say art, we may think of the white painter, you know, in, in what's in mm-hmm. uh, museums. And I think there's a lot to uh, grapple with. I appreciate your comments. Um, and I think um, as far as inclusivity on the podcast itself, I even chatted with you as far as like, you know, trying to really represent art and philosophy away from its traditional norms of, you know, our expectations around who, who does it and create that space. I jumped ahead a tiny bit in asking about the role of art in certain situations, but I didn't ask you what art is. And I'm going to now, what is art? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. I love that question. What is art? Um, well, I think that's <laughs> largely subjective. Um, but in my personal opinion, art is, is the manifestation of thoughts and feelings and experience that are untranslatable in any other way, but transmutable in different art forms. Um, maybe it's music, maybe it's visual, maybe it's performance, you know, maybe it's, um, movements, maybe it's sounds. Um, and I also think one of the big things that I think separates art from just, creation is intention that you are actively making choices um and that's not to say that things can't reveal themselves to you and that you can't discover things because that's a big part of it it often feels like as you chip away at whatever you're working at um choices will reveal themselves to you or paths to take and some of them will seem obvious and some of them will seem less obvious um but i think the big thing is is to create something that could not be expressed through typical standard methods of communication and to do so um, with decisions to be made, choices made, but with something to say. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I love the question uh, myself, uh, you know, what, you know, what is art? And, um, you know, it's, it's evocative of a lot. Of, I think uh, you try to figure out, we had the discussion a little bit earlier when we were chatting about, um, you know, is it perfect on the paper is, you know, like the thing with the mm-hmm. script. And then once you perform it, is that where um, th- those things happen? Uh, and, and, you know, and I think uh, I remember starting off when I had studied, uh, you know, the question, what is art is, you know, there's always the discussion about, you know, nature in authorship Mm -hmm. and in beauty, right? The sunset, is there an author for the sunset? And if so, you know, is Mm. that Mm -hmm. um, artistic? So there's some really grand questions. Um, Mm -hmm. I was glad to hear um, uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, A couple more questions. Um, Sure. Is there there somebody or something that made you who you are? That's a heavy hitter. (laughs) <laughs> it is something or somebody that made me who I am. I mean, I think I'm an amalgamation of, of everyone I've ever met and everything I've ever seen or experienced. But there are, of course, um, players who are um, more important than others, actors that um, have a bigger sway in my experience. I would definitely say my family. Um, I love my family very much. My mother, who um, never takes excuses and... Um, uh, is ruthlessly smart and um, 
very opinionated and, um, but also very open-minded. You know, she taught me that it's okay to change your mind. That's what a reasonable person does when they are presented with new information. Yeah. Um, and so I change my mind a thousand times a day. And of course it's, it's important to change your mind and also stand your ground, but to know why you're standing your ground and not because it was an idea that occurred to you or came to you and you never questioned it. Um, my, so I love my family very much. My wonderful husband um, has had a huge influence on who I am. I am naturally very extroverted, um, very talkative, uh, very uh, expressive. I speak with my hands a lot, and my husband is the counter opposite. He is um, he's very introverted, and he always thinks before he speaks, and he has this um, kind of innate ability to listen beyond what most people listen to. And he has a wonderful inquisitive eye. And when we'll go to a show, even if it's something that's technically in my, in my expertise, I see musical theater and opera differently than he does. And he will always notice things that will really take me aback and, and change my perception of them. And so I think the biggest people that, that affect us are the ones that change our mind about things or allow us to change our mind about things, not people that just feed into the same ideas over and over because, um, you won't grow that way. Um, and so, and also I, you know, I've had the great fortune of being able to travel the world. Opera has allowed me that I was able to, um, go to, Europe and see some wonderful places there. I was able to visit Africa um, for my sister's wedding, not for opera. She married a South African gentleman and um, to go to Central America. And my husband lived in South America as a student. And um, the ability to learn a new language really that really had a big effect on me. And it showed me things about myself that I didn't know, namely that I love languages. And if I was not an opera singer, if I was not a stage performer, um, I would want to be a linguist because um, that was open to me by my experiences and by the art form that I do love, allowing me to visit what otherwise I don't know if I would have been able to. Um, and it wasn't learning languages in school that showed me that. It was going to another country and trying to communicate that taught me that. And so I think that was very, very important. Um but yeah, it's it's a hodgepodge. I sometimes feel like a cauldron and they're throwing in various things and turning it on simmer and um, I come out the other side. Yeah, I find I, I can um, uh, I'm, I, 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 I can say for myself at knowing myself at this point, I haven't shown a great aptitude to. Uh, in, in, in learning languages, like some folks I've been around though, I do try and, um, with some Spanish, but I, I, I'm all, I'm also fascinated by languages because of the way that they sound and how they're pronounced. It seemed kind mm -hmm. of impossible to me. And I only say that because I was taking advantage of some free lessons, um, on an app in, mm -hmm. in in Mandarin and um, good lord, <laughs> the, yeah. uh, tackling the sounds. I like tackling uh -huh. sounds, but especially um, for a tonal language, you know, there's some really great Chinese opera which focuses on the language and it focuses on 
um, the traditional costumes and traditional garments worn in the Chinese culture. And it is, I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, the colors and the sounds, and it's unlike anything you've ever heard before. And I remember I had a teacher who said, there are sounds you're not going to be able to hear until you hear them for the first time. You have to experience them before you can conceive of them in your imagination, before you can um, replicate them. They have to be introduced to you. Um, and there are lots of sounds like that in other languages that don't necessarily translate to English as well. And it takes a lot of work. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that's, I think what's always interesting is what you would do if you weren't doing what you were doing, what would be your second choice if, if things had worked out differently. And so, you know, if you didn't have a podcast, maybe you, um, would have followed a different path. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, you know, I set up the podcast, the name of the podcast is why is, you know, is is, is something Uh rather than nothing. Right. And so I've saved for you, Mackenzie, the the easiest question, because you get to finish the program and go to the easiest one. And it's, uh, of course, my question for you is why is there something rather than nothing? I love this question. I think it's a wonderful question. Um, I think there are people who spend their whole lives trying to figure that out. Um, But for me, I think it's because the fact that there is something rather than nothing is an exquisite miracle and an unbelievable responsibility that we have to continue to fill the something with something and not with nothing and to have a voice and to expand the something at your fingertips. And even when there's nothing, that's something. Um, this rests and space in music are just as important as the notes where there are sound. Um, they are something that is technically nothing, but is absolutely something. And the nothings make the somethings that much more magical and special and worth having. Yes. Right there. Pause right there. That's <laughs> it. That's it. You got it. Um, <laughs> <Yay! laughs> um, uh, so, um, uh, uh, Mackenzie Rogers. Um, I wanted to give you the opportunity at the end. Um, you know, I, I, I just I'll say right off the bat, um, your enthusiasm for art, uh, your, your talent and your thoughts are all deeply appreciated and actually uh, quite Thank inspiring to, 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 to think about. Um, and and I've, I've loved our chat. I want um, listeners to have the experience uh, as you define it of how to come in contact with you your work um and in this space too if you want to mention particular things that you've acted performed in as far as where folks can come in contact with with you sure yeah um i do have a website it is a little outdated is it's mezzo m-e-z-z-o mckenzie m-a-c-k-e-n-z-i-e dot com i'm actually no longer a mezzo i just recently made the switch to soprano um which I can talk about um, in another life. Um, And so that will be changing, but that is currently my website. And um, I'm on Instagram under that same name, Mezzo McKenzie. I am on Twitter, not very often, but I am there. Um, Companies that I've worked with include Westchester Broadway Theater, Utah Festival Opera, Musical Theater, Broadway Rose Theater, Portland Opera. Um, I really had the chance to work with some exquisite companies and had some exquisite shows at my at my um in my 
my life and so I'm ever grateful for that but I'm always around and um uh not limited to uh only opera and musical theater um which is a blessing and a curse um but yeah so on the web and my name is Mackenzie Rogers and I have short brown hair <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let you go yet because I do want to tie this this shoelace. Sure. Um, uh, mezzo to soprano. I mean, I'm interested in you as an artist. You know, that's a significant transition within the work that you do. Um, mm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what's going on for you as an artist uh, in that process? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I studied, so in opera, there are major voice categories. Many of them are familiar to you. Soprano, mezzo-soprano, contralto, countertenor, tenor, um, baritone, bass, baritone, and bass. And even within those categories are subcategories called Fox, F-A-C-H, it's a German word. And Fox determine what repertoire is most appropriate for you. There are different types of sopranos. There are different types of mezzos. Um, there are things that sound more beautiful in certain types of voices. And this categorization really didn't come around until Verdi, until um, uh, the 18th and the 19th centuries. Um, as much um, uh, into, we use it very heavily now in the 20th century and the 21st century. Um, but I was singing as a mezzo, which is a lower voiced female um, voice. I was singing as a high mezzo, a lyric mezzo, and I did coloratura, which is vocal pyrotechnics. Your voice moves very quickly. Um, it's got a lot of spring. It's got a lot of flexibility. Um, it's a little bit higher and brighter. And now I am transitioning to soprano. So as you are in your 20s, your voice changes a lot. And then as you near the end of your 20s and into your 30s, your voice expands and settles. And so a lot of times the voice that you will be have, have studied and known and sung with for years will not end up being the repertoire you, you sing. So that's exactly what happened to me. I was working as a mezzo and singing as a mezzo and um, started working with a wonderful, wonderful team here in New York, um, David Jones and Kamal Khan. That is my teacher and my opera coach. And um, at Kamal's behest, I was uh, working with him and he was like, I really think you're a soprano. I think you should be singing Puccini. I think you should be singing Mozart. I think you should be singing this other music. And so I worked on it a little bit, took it to my teacher, who the teacher works on your technique, works on vocal health, works on creating beautiful and efficient sound. And an opera coach works on things like languages, expression, artistic choices, um, stylistic elements that are appropriate for the time period that the opera was written, things like that. Um, you would never sing a Mozart opera the same way you would sing a Puccini opera, and um, that it in there is the struggle. Um, you really have to be a chameleon. You have to adapt. Um, and so I'm switching to soprano. And so this book of repertoire that I have held closely to me, and we call it our book or our package, it's five operatic repertoire, or excuse me, operatic arias that you take with, with you to an audition. One has to be in um, each major language of Western opera, which, as I mentioned earlier, is French, Italian, German, and English, and then one of your choice. It can be Slavic or it can be an, um, another aria in a repeat language. And so I've had this music near and dear to me, and I've all of a sudden kind of 
pushed it aside to allow new music and new ways of singing and creating sound that I had never really explored before. And your voice does reveal itself to you, but I'm really enjoying it right now. Um, I'm working on some Puccini, some Mozart. Um, I'm working on some fabulous 20th century stuff, 21st century. Um, and the fun stuff about new music is that you don't have 400 years of competition. You know, you have, you have, you have the rare and incredible opportunity to have a first crack at something, or at least in the first 20 years of its creation, um, which is unusual and not something that I, I take lightly. Um, but yeah, so I'm exploring some new repertoire. I also have to change the way I think about my acting. As a mezzo, I have played a lot of pants roles, male roles, where a female voice will play a male role. You find that a lot in Mozart, Page Boys. Um, you find that a lot in music that wasn't originally meant for castrati and has now been updated to work for women. So castrati sang in what is considered a female um, sound they sang in a female register what is considered a female register and so it's emperors it's princes it's jealous lovers things like that and so for that I would go into an audition in pants I would walk with my pelvis forward I would keep my wrists very straight as opposed to maybe my natural tendency to let my wrists be loose and vulnerable the way a woman would now I'm working on music that is much more heroic um, I am working on music that belongs to the heroine of many of the shows. And so it's much more front and forward on stage. It's much, um, not more exciting, but more, <laughs> more revelatory. And um, it really has, it's really pushed me as an artist because I have to adapt and I have to do it quickly. And luckily I have many hours in the day to do so. Um, and I am not, um, not letting that go to waste. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I, I know that, um, uh, I, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate your explanation and, um, I'm, uh, all the different components has really made me think about, you know, how it, how it all comes together. And I just want to definitely ask you that question. Cause I know it's an important switch for you, but I also, yeah. um, prior to answering that, I actually did, don't know what that means. I, you can recognize it as important for somebody, but all the components, uh, that, that go along with that. Um, uh, Mackenzie, uh, thank you so much for your time. I think it goes without saying that we're going to have to chat again. We're going to have to have you back on. <laughs> um, I would love that. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it, I've, I've learned a lot, and uh, I'm sure the listeners have as well. Um, I just wanted to thank you for, um, you know, your efforts, uh, you know, in art and in the beautiful art that you produce, but also, um, you know, engaging on, uh, you know, in, in these times and, uh, you know, our, I think our mutual hope to kind of, uh, have a, an inclusive society, um, with, with greater justice and what, what, mm -hmm. what, what, what role art, uh, what role art has, uh, in that and, and to explore that. So, um, Again, thank you uh, so much. It's been so nice to chat with you, uh, Mackenzie, and I look forward to hearing uh, a lot more of your material. Well, oh, thank you so much, Ken. It's been an honor and, and wonderful questions. I mean, you know, it's it's nice to be asked such thought-provoking and interesting questions that really make you consider your own opinions about things. <laughs>
Uh, Mackenzie Rogers, thanks again. Thank you. Bye now. Oh.